I'm Chad Rutherman's. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And welcome to No Clip Pocket. That's why. Today, we're going to be talking about Firewatch, which was released in 2000 and... Oh, wow, okay. It's, this is another one, huh? That's just on everything. Yep. Uh, this is a game that was released in 2016 on Windows, OSX, Linux, PS4, and Xbox One, and then released in 2018 on the Nintendo Switch. The game was developed by Campo Santo, and it was published by Panic, and also Campo Santo. Um, Firewatch is a walking simulator style game. It's a story-based uh, conversation choice based open world exploration game. Uh, though the exploration is pretty heavily guided, I would say. It's not that open. Mm-hmm. I think we were talking about maybe Vanishing of Ethan Carter or some other walking sim game, and you brought this one up as another walking simulator, and it totally is one, mm-hmm. but. It was it was weird to me for you to refer to it that way because for some reason I don't really think of it as one. Like in my mind, it's more of just like a narrative game. Uh, but you know, that's just like a like it was a weird personal distinction that I didn't realize I had made until you brought it up. Yeah, I think that we are as a society past the like the point of own of like pure quote-unquote walking simulators like games whose express purpose is just to put you in an environment and have you move around and tell you a story like pretty passively um so things like dear esther uh is like a pure walking sim and like mentioning this in the same breath as vanishing of ethan carter is really appropriate because i think both of them are walking simulators that take something out of that and put in like other elements uh with the vanishing of ethan carter there's actual puzzle solving to do um which takes it i think further away from the genre than firewatch is and with firewatch it's that it is i mean it's made by people who are uh alumni of of telltale games and you can see the sort of like branching story structure come from that uh though i don't know how much of it was influenced i guess in that way Mm -hmm. also i played this game this time with the uh developer commentary turned on uh so if i'm more full of fun facts today (laughs) than usual that's why (laughs) yeah it just like a quick aside about that um Mm -hmm. it seemed like a really weird implementation of that sort of thing to me because they're on these little tapes that you find and having to like it feels like that doesn't gel with the gameplay at all because it plays over the dialogue. Like a lot of the actual game is listening to people talk to each other. Yeah. And if you want to just listen to the commentary, you kind of just have to put the controller down and stand still. Right. And which, wait. Which is mostly what I did. Yeah. The I've played this game. Th- this is my third time through it because um, I think that we can we can take the talk about the developer commentary short and make it into something that we can talk about uh, as far as design goes because it's obviously designed for people who have played the game before mm-hmm. um which is which makes you don't buy a dvd and then watch the movie for the first time with the with the the director commentary on uh and so I the assumption is that you either know what the dialogue is or you're mostly there to hear the developer commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in kind of like a middle ground because I played this in 2016 when it came out and I played it again in 2018. Uh, not the when it came out on Switch. I didn't even know it was on Switch until today. Um, but I then play I, I and then I played it this this third time with the commentary on so it had actually been a while since the last time I played it mm-hmm. so there were definitely moments where I was I was like I'm answering questions I can't hear yeah and I'm just hoping that what I'm saying is like in line with what I want to do but in the end it didn't really matter anyway so right it just I like the idea of like putting it in the game. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like it doesn't mesh with that, how the game is designed. Yeah. I will say it does mesh with this quality of the game that I want to talk about in that the way that they do it, as you described, you find these tapes 
uh, and the tapes are on these little kiosks that have cassette tapes and a light on them and a sign. And it's like per, in the game, in fiction, it is the Firewatch guided audio tour. And your character at the beginning of the game pulls a pair of headphones out of his backpack and puts them on like when the game starts mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's entirely diegetic. Like it's supposed to be something that is happening in game. Mm-hmm. And I love that shit. And yeah, me too. <laughs> similarly, they go out of their way to make sure that this is the only non-diegetic elements in this game are uh, music cues and, even a lot of those sometimes have like a reason for being like there's the whole uh the teen zone where uh you have the the boom box that's playing a song and so like that music is like explained mm-hmm. uh but the big one the obvious one is the map uh which they did say they and this is unsurprising if you're familiar with Campo Santo uh as people and as podcasts podcast hosts uh but it was inspired by Far Cry 2's map, which is some shit that they talk about all the time. Um, but it is... I love the implementation of the map, and I like the fact that little points of interest get revealed to you and marked on it with a pencil, mm-hmm. and that you hold it and have a com- like a physical compass that you hold in your hand and like orient yourself and move around. I think it's really well done. It's my favorite UI element of the game. <laughs> yeah. I like the map too, and I think it has some similar strengths to the map in Hollow Knight, mm. which is maybe one of my favorite maps in games where like you just you pull it up with one button and you just hold in the button and your character keeps walking with the map up. Mm-hmm. Like it just is a really smooth implementation of it. And this has a similar thing where you pull out the map and you have the compass there and you can keep walking along with it up, you know, like how you'd actually use a map. Right. So you just want to be able to pull it up, get the information, put it back. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, I feel like that should be a thing that more developers should be aware of like start doing it like this yeah like if you have to like press a a pause button and watch like an animation and then tab over to the map screen and like some some games have like a one button open the map kind of thing Mm -hmm. but i like this sort of in-game map that actually doesn't make you stop moving to use it yeah Mm. and um it's like much better i think than a mini map like it accomplishes the same thing, and I think in a just more natural way. Instead of just having the information right up there in the corner of the screen at all times, taking your attention away from what's happening right. on the rest of the screen and just looking at the little corner, pull up the map smoothly without having to stop moving, get that info, and put it back. And you can pull it up and down smoothly and quickly. Like I just think that's better. Yeah. And uh, I-, I like that... So we we got this part. We haven't even mentioned that this game takes place in uh, in a forest in the Shoshone National Forest, probably. Uh, but it is like it's a fairly dense wooded area, and there are paths and like a lake and landmarks. And the beauty of the map is that you can look at the map, and it has trails marked on it. But because it is like an open world natural kind of environment you can sort of draw lines from where you are to where you want to go and make the decision to like oh maybe if i cut through this thicket i can make it there a little bit faster like you can make those real world navigational decisions um and the game doesn't doesn't stop you from doing it there are areas that are like untraversable but Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't like say follow the path at any point you just kind of do what you want yeah, I found those kind of non-traversable parts of the map to be a little bit too abundant that I always just followed the paths right. personally. But you're right, it, there, it is an option there. And I think I really like there's like some subtler ways that like options are sprinkled in like that where whenever you come by those little boxes... I don't know what you would call them, but there's these little... Uh, oh, the cash boxes? Yeah, cash boxes that you unlock with the little code. And they'll have maps in them with, like, trail markings on them. And you you can fill those in on your own map. And if you wanted to, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you could turn off uh, the thing that shows you where you are on the map. You could not... 
take that information from the boxes and you could just go total uh, wilderness explorer man <laughs> and explore the wilderness with nothing but your wit if right. you felt like it. So, like, those kind of options, like, you can make it harder for yourself if you want to, or you can make it easy for yourself if that's what you want as well. Yeah. And it doesn't, none of it takes away from the overall goal of the game because that goal, like, the conversation that's happening uh, between your character and Delilah is so sort of, like, laid back that if you choose to be the Bear grills of Firewatch and just sort of try and make it on your own, just like learning landmarks and figuring out where things are, then you end up like it, it still works. Like the game works in both ways. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about the actual like point of the game, the narrative yeah. where you have more design stuff. Yeah. Let's jump into the narrative. That's like the meat and potatoes of the game. I think. Yeah. Uh, so, this game starts uh, with a purely, like, twine game text choice opening um, that is there that's supposed to set the scene for who your character is. Um, because you are playing as, like, a distinctive character, mm-hmm. and they want your past relationships to have an effect on how you make choices they present everything sort of in slideshow fashion and it's kind of briefly broken up by these gameplay segments where you're just moving from one place to another uh i do want to mention that according to and i don't remember if this is in the game or if it was in the commentary but evidently the hike that he takes from where he leaves his truck. It's two days. Yeah, it's like a 14-hour hike or something. Mm-hmm. That's so wild, and I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is in the game. Yeah, no, the whole premise of like what he's doing here is something you would never do. Yeah, that's well, I mean, this was also... Because this game takes place in, I think, 1989 or 1990. Mm-hmm. Something and, like that. Yeah, and it is like... So, obviously, there's different... I'm used to more modern comforts than Henry is. Uh Uh-huh. But, good God, though. Like, I feel like the two-day hike would be the killer. Mm. Though, I guess it was... uh, They, like, talked to people who actually did Firewatch, like, for a living. Mm -hmm. And... uh, a lot of them were like, well, a lot of them apparently were like, how and why are you making a video game about this? And apparently, like, the hardest part of the job is just not being bored until you're insane. Right. Cabin fever. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm the type of person that, like, in my adult life, if I had, like, three months that I could just take off, I would actually like doing this. Mm-hmm. The biggest, my weird thing that I wouldn't like is that fact that the tower is just, like, all windows. Like, I don't like sleeping with open windows and you have to leave them open to watch for fires, I right. assume. So that would bug the crap out of me, even though there's no one around for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. <laughs> I wouldn't like, I would feel like, I don't like things being able to see in, in to me sleeping. <laughs> yeah, it is actually, because it is also a park. Like, it's a national park that's just a literal open wilderness. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not like you know that there are no people for miles and miles. Yeah. There could be someone outside your window right now. Yeah. <laughs> like Exactly. This, this yeah. could be a horror game <laughs> if you played it right. There could be sexy teenagers coming to sabotage your tower. Yeah. Uh, or is it? Anyway, Ooh. spoilers ahead. <laughs> but uh, the thing I like about the intro is it sets up this plot or how you have how you met your wife and mm-hmm. then how she develops uh, Alzheimer's or dementia of some kind. And I think it's a pretty short sequence, but manages to hit pretty heavy yeah. based on how it's presented. Uh, it's no up. Not many things are, but like it's that kind of a thing where it like it sets up a relationship and then it goes south and it it hits you emotionally uh pretty hard for how short of a intro it is yeah i, I want to say it's in like the same now this may be just a fundamental difference between the two of us but 
I think it is at least in the same league as Up, mm-hmm. as far as, like, its goals are the same, obviously, but its execution, I think, is pretty good as well. And I, I personally, the what makes this narrative, not the narrative of the intro, but the narrative of the entire story mm-hmm. work for me is that Julia is not killed right like julia doesn't die julia is put in a state where henry doesn't recognize her anymore um as like a she's not like the same person to him mm-hmm. and that's sort of like the central ambiguity of the entire like your decisions as you go forward and the game doesn't give you concrete answers which is a theme that we'll come back to um and I think that's way more emotionally effective than just having the character die, which is what happens in Up. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's better than Up, because <laughs> it has, like, like Up has a beautiful score, and, like, you have these expectations that it really, like, shatters in a way that you don't expect as early in the movie as it is. It's a really, like, this game suffers by coming after Up, because <laughs> Up, like, established this, and Firewatch is doing a version of it that is different, but is going to be compared. Mm-hmm. So I want to say they're in the same league, but Firewatch is, like, a bad team in that same league. Okay. I want to say, yeah, Up, I think, pound for pound, for the amount of time that is spent on it, uh the emotional impact puts it at like an S tier. Okay. <laughs> and whereas I think Firewatch is maybe more like an A. Okay, that's fair. Like, it puts a lot more of the emotional weight on stuff that comes after the intro as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Up puts it all out there in the first like nine minutes and mm-hmm. it could stand alone as like its own short film. Right. It would be an incredibly depressing short oh, yeah. film because Carl then never grows. <laughs> and or- <laughs> He's just devastated, and the credits roll. <laughs> but anyway, enough about Up. Right. Uh, but yeah, but talking about this intro, though, the reason that it works, the thing that it does really well, is that it gives you choices that mostly don't matter, that are little things, decision points in uh, like your life. And everything, as you go through like all of the, the little bits, like... They're minute enough, but they're also, like, presented in the same light as everything else. So you do feel like you form an emotional connection, even in the short time. And it does a good job of setting up Henry as as a person, how you are playing him as well. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think it does a good job, at least it did for me. Or, like, I didn't know where this game was going. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all, all, most of the way through it, I felt like I didn't know where it was really going. Um, and so for me, it, I never felt like I knew like what stuff was important and what wasn't. And I think that makes it more effective. Like you take each question a little bit more seriously when you're not thinking about how the game's going to use your answers for X, Y, and Z. Like you're just kind of taking it as it is. Right. So I, I think this game did a good job of, like, making me take that stuff seriously in a way that, like, some games I wouldn't. Yeah. This game treats dialogue choices interestingly. I think that this game uses dialogue choices explicitly to do the things that other games try to do with them implicitly by imposing mechanics on them where i think in firewatch the main goal of your dialogue in the game is to like develop in your head what the relationship is and they obviously have a ton of branching narratives depending on what you choose to say but the game always ends in a similar way uh Even, I mean, there is one wild alternate ending. If you just choose not to get on the helicopter, it just flies away and you can die. Ah. But, well, I mean, it's maybe you just live out in the woods forever. I don't know. But it plays out in a a similar way, more or less regardless of what you do. So, yes, the dialogue changes, and yes, your options will change. But for the most part, like... It is entirely like an intellectual and emotional mechanic, more so than it is like a an, a distinct game. You still do the same things every day. Yeah, it's more like reflexive. I think like it makes you think about 
the way you perceive like it makes you think about your the way you've interacted with it i think mm-hmm. like the the way you chose to handle henry's situation and his relationship with delilah like i don't know it it's i think it's really good at that like making you think about your own choices mm-hmm. in like a critical way yeah and, and it's one of because a lot of games i think reward you uh with this kind of system to for making consistent choices like making the same type of choice every time will like uh, increases your paragon score or like this character won't die now or something but this game allows for a little bit of wiggle room where you can sort of choose what things you want to treat seriously and what other things you want to treat as more of a joke plus there's like a meta element of like getting weird dialogue options like finding stuff in the world or following a particular dialogue tree to a conclusion that maybe you didn't think it was going to get to uh which it it does it makes the dialogue choices are the the biggest decision points of the game uh it's like that and choosing whether to name the turtle uh (laughs) turt reynolds or shelly duvall those are your the two hardest choices for sure um yeah i feel like it the dialogue choices do a good job at like putting you in Henry's shoes or like relining the player and the character because like it's like do you flirt with Delilah on the night when she's getting drunk mm-hmm. and then the next day I think you're more likely to regret that decision <laughs> like Henry would in this game because it kind of makes you think about it more in the way like it's a decision you're actually making in your real life yeah and you can get blurs those lines i think pretty successfully yeah and there's there's even there's a choice where you can choose to like put your wedding ring back on like there's a night where you take it off and sit it on uh the table and you can put the ring back on and i think at that point it just remains on for the rest of the game if you do and i don't know if that affects dialogue decisions uh i know that i did put it back on but i don't know I didn't really think about it, but the moment that I did put it on, I started to. I was like, what are the implications of this? Like, what does it mean if Henry puts the ring back on now? Like, after you've gone as far as you have. Mm -hmm. Because I think the underlying question of the game is, does Henry consider his relationship with Julia to still be, like, a valid relationship? Mm -hmm. And... The game doesn't tell you if your answer to that is right or wrong. It just tells you, like, what happens in the immediate moment. Right. Um, And we've gone all of this way, talking about this part of the story, without mentioning that there's, like, a whole conspiracy narrative Mm -hmm. that they put in to sort of drive mystery. Uh, And I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, Okay, so, (laughs) story time. Uh... If you've listened this far and you haven't played the game mm-hmm. uh, and you've decided to, play it by yourself. Uh, I Because pl- I, I normally actually highly recommend playing like narrative adventure games like this with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, I think it kind of ruins the experience because the whole core of it is like the intimate relationship between Henry and Delilah. And the first time I played this, I played it with Dan and Janelle, who are friends of the podcast. Right. Uh, And it really uh, kind of leads to, like, a flaccid experience, because there's really no tension between Henry and Delilah when you have that moral compass of other people there. Like, you just take a hard stance, at least we did, of like, we're not going to cheat on Julia, she's still alive. Right. Like, we're going to be faithful. So there was really no tension there, and so we kind of hyper-focused in on the conspiracy plot, like the (laughs) X-Files story, and then when that ends up just being a red herring, you end up with, like, well, I just kind of played a game where I hiked in the woods and then left. Yeah. (laughs) So my first experience with this was not great. Right. Um... So I want to save other people from that, if I can. <laughs> no, and play this by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate. I feel like it's hard to tell when you first pick up a game whether 
uh, it's going to be a game that is better experienced alone versus with other people. Because I'm I'm with you on that. I think like especially adventure games, I feel like having other people smooths the experience a lot mm-hmm. um, because those games are really obtuse, and having a second pair of eyes helps sort of like uh, get through the tougher parts. Whereas they're still narrative-based games, and you want to experience them for the story, mm-hmm. and so you go through and you get a little bit of help along the way, and then you get to the end and you can actually do the thing that you came there to do. Firewatch does open with a thing that basically screams, do not play this with other people. Uh, It's like if you went to... If you were filming Mystery Science Theater 3000 for Up, you would get (laughs) through the first sequence and be like, all right, pick it up. Like, this isn't... (laughs) That's not what this is for. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. this game's opening, I think, is a pretty good indicator of that. But it's not something I considered, because I knew that you were playing it with other people, Mm -hmm. and I just was like, okay... (laughs) <laughs> and I was like in a different I didn't I didn't even think about it. I was like they'll probably like it too. Right. And uh they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It I even think like something like Life is Strange, while not exactly the same kind of adventure game, uh is a game with a, a lot of intimate relationships and personal choices to make mm-hmm. and i still think that's a great game to play with other people like this specifically like it wants you to play it by yourself right yeah there's a, an element and not only that but like the the idea of the game like uh from like a design standpoint you are a character who is is effectively alone in the woods doing a very boring job and you have one other person that you talk to with any sense of, of regularity. And that is like the key to the ambiguity in the story, because you're in a situation where there is no other judgment like in game. So you want to put yourself in that position in real life when you're playing it. Uh So it's, it's a very personal exploration. Like, am, am I, the kind of person who thinks this. And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. And then it gets into the conspiracy stuff and you can allow yourself to get whisked away with it where the final emotional payoff is still going to be there at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like having thought about it a lot after playing it the first time and not really enjoying it and then coming back to it uh, for this, I think like the point, uh, like I was getting to... Uh, earlier i think the point of the conspiracy plot is to put you more in henry's shoes like he's doing this firewatch thing as an escape mm-hmm. and when he's there he's grasping at these straws like this it like this adventure that seems like it's presenting itself to him to kind of forget his problems and uh you know just kind of be out here in the adventure woods for the summer with his long distance girlfriend in the tower, you know, across the, uh, the Valley or whatever. Uh, and in the end, it ends up being nothing. It, it's like a sweet dose of reality. Like you can't really run from the problems. He has to deal with it in the end. Like, Mm. I think that's what it's going for. It's just, I feel like it's for me, at least the way I experience the game personally ends up being like an aggro situation for me where I get what they're going for. I think they even successfully made me feel the way they wanted to, but I don't really enjoy it. Right. Is it because of the adventure conspiracy plot or is it because of the like flat ending? I actually, I think the ending is fine. I just think it didn't, it's a combination of things. Like I think it didn't work for me because the first time I played it, the, like, Delilah relationship was flat. Mm-hmm. So um, all my chips were on the conspiracy narrative. <laughs> and when it ends up being nothing, it just was like, okay. In defense of the conspiracy. Because uh, I was, like, super into that part. Yeah. And it, it, it let me down. <laughs> the the B plot of this game is, uh, which is very easily mistaken for the, the, the A plot. It's mm-hmm. like that the A e letter but it's a b instead right uh because they're so close um 
<laughs> but the 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 B plot is like the story about there is a dad and his kid who used to Ned be and in, Brian. Ned and Brian. I wrote their names down. <laughs> What's the last name? I don't. I didn't. Ah, got him. <laughs> uh, I wasn't that prepared. Yeah, we're gonna say Dennehy because of Brian Dennehy. <laughs> okay, Ned and Brian Dennehy, Dennehy. his son. <laughs> uh, but they were um, they were in one of the watchtowers as well, and Brian, the kid, uh, was not supposed to be there. It was like illegal or whatever. He's not maybe not illegal, not allowed by the rules of the Firewatch. Mm-hmm. So. Delilah doesn't do anything about it, though, uh, because she likes the kid. She doesn't really like the dad. And so there's like a she builds a relationship with this kid uh, sort of as like her character development in it is like she makes this relationship with the kid because she basically is supposed to be running everything. But she gets real bored and ends up talking to people a lot. So you end up with this. Uh, situation where they leave at some point and nothing is ever said about it and because nothing is ever said in your head you're going I bet there's something going on Mm -hmm. Uh, so about uh, at the midway point of the game maybe a little bit earlier there is this sequence where you are attacked in the woods uh, like somebody punches you in the back of the head and knocks you unconscious and then you start to like you pull that you think oh like remember those teens from before maybe they're related but then you launch into this whole thing like oh there's a fence and there's like a base back there with a bunch of scientific equipment radio tower yeah the radio tower all this but it's down in this little gully where like you can't see the tower from any of the watchtowers yeah maybe the secret base it wasn't the teens at all and uh, the government is here doing some kind of experiments <laughs> or something. Right. And then you find out the people have been listening on your conference, listening in on your conversations. Enunciation is important for radio. Uh, and your tower gets broken into. So there's like all of these escalating things that are happening, pointing you that like you are the specific focus of some kind of plot. Mm-hmm. And so... This is all very exciting and mysterious in the moment. Like it's a great, oh, yeah. it's a great cool bit. Yeah, it feels like an X Files episode or something. Right. J- the journey being better than the destination is a platitude that works most of the time. <laughs> but when it is a mystery, the destination is kind of important. It's very important. Yeah. <laughs> so the resolution of this is that it was Ned, the dad, whose son had died in a climbing accident. There's debate whether or not it was an accident or, like, if he killed him. I, to me, it read like an accident, personally. Yeah, I 100% am in the accident boat, but for some reason in my game, Delilah was hard set. Oh, but, yeah. At least this time. She was like, he murdered him. <laughs> that's not the way it went for me. So. Yeah, your choices can, like, <laughs> change how she takes it. But that's somehow I ended up with that one, despite me personally being way on the other side. Okay. But, uh, and I actually like this resolution for what it's worth. I think that the, uh, the fact that Ned actually is a conspirator, I mean, he's a a lone conspirator. Yeah, he's been living in a cave. Mm -hmm. Like he's a weird mountain man. Yeah. Now it landed better for me on the second time. The whole game did because I played it by myself and it had been two years since I, or more than that since I've played it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it landed better, and I did. It it might be that I was braced for it, like I knew that it wasn't gonna have some kind of crazy payoff. But uh, it, I think it works. Um, for like the reasons I said, it's like, cause it was like a parallel mystery, right? Like mm-hmm. what happened to Ned and Brian. It's yeah. kind of set up. It's not given as much importance. So then when it comes in, that those two things tie together, like the base and the disappearance of Ned and Brian, like. It is a nice, uh, and it, it actually, like, makes sense. Like, you, you really feel like you uncover like, a real-world mystery. Like, we actually figured out what happened here. Right. It's just not, like, a cool fictional mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, and that, I think, is the key. I mean, there are some things in this game that are fantastical, like the fact that you would pick up and use the, the like, the transmission detector, whatever mm-hmm. it's called. 
uh, as like a very beepy video game thing, and it just replaces your compass from that point on. Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't either, especially because in the audio tour, it has little uh, like Scantron ass bubbles that you fill in whenever you pick up a, a tape. And it marks how many you have to pick up in the day. And after you get that, the last three days are just invisible because they're under it on the map. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, but that's not important for the main game. Uh, <laughs> but, there, yeah, so there's some, like, out there elements to this game. But for the most part, it's very grounded. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, the whole story with Ned and Brian, like, I liked it. I liked it more on subsequent subsequent playthroughs as well. Mm-hmm. I think your first time you feel let down because it is something different. But this is a game that benefits from multiple playthroughs, which doesn't necessarily mean that I recommend playing it more than once. But if you are going in for the first time and you skipped the last 10 minutes, but for some reason <laughs> jumped in right here, so this is advice for no one... It is, you have to keep in mind how grounded the game is and what, like, to expect. Like, don't set your expectations too high. And the actual human narrative, I think, is cool enough to compensate for maybe diminishing your own, like, wild imagination. Yeah, uh, I think that the game shoots itself in the foot a little bit because I think it sets up expectations for something more fantastic and Mm -hmm. then doesn't deliver on them. And again, I think it wants to do that because I think Henry has expectations of something cool uh, to help him escape his life out here. So they want you to feel that way. It just I don't know how worth it that was to like because they do a really good job, I think, of making you crave that government conspiracy (laughs) mystery. Yeah, I agree. I think that good job is commendable in itself, though. Like, sure, yeah. But, yeah, I, I I agree and disagree, but I think I'm I'm harder on the agree on this. I think that, <laughs> like, the, the mystery being as flaccid as it is uh, is part of the charm for me, but also makes it feel like it's pretty squarely the B-plot as mm-hmm. compared to, like, the emotional journey of Henry, which is much more, like, interesting in the post-game life that you live right (laughs) uh so i mean like we have to mention the quality of the voice acting oh yeah it's fucking real good uh henry does a great job Mm -hmm. uh i don't want to not mention him because i think delilah kind of steals the show she kind of is the game um and like she does such a good job i think of making you want to meet that character Mm-hmm. And then the fact that you never get to, like, she stays an idea in your head, I think really works. Um, like, because you never actually meet any other characters in the game. Um, you see the silhouettes of Ned and the sexy teens, and you see Brian's dead body, mm-hmm. but you never actually, like, meet a character and actually interact with them in the game. And that there's this feeling of isolation. And the the fact that she's just a voice on a radio, like very real, but also not present, like it ends. It, there's an interesting dynamic and feel to that that I think is really successful. I think it's the best thing about the game. Yeah. If I had to boil it down, my fun fact is that uh, the teen models or just a texture were no, they actually were models, but they were just Unity's default model. Uh, that they just put really far away mm. and put some like uh, obscuring haze over it. Right. Uh, but my real fun fact is that the Unity default male model just has a fully modeled dick. <laughs> and so in their spare time, they, <laughs> they put like some jorts on him. <laughs> and they put it in like one of the, uh, in a lot of the, the developer commentary things, it puts in these little environmental elements that just sit there in the game world as mm-hmm. like another thing. And it's funny because they put in like a hundred of these models in one area of like varying sizes and like distances and they're all wearing jorts. <laughs> I think some of them have like heart shaped chest hair and they put uh Henry's face on one just for like kicks. And it's uh, so just, you get to see Henry's face. You do get to see Henry's face in the developer commentary. Crazy, yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, like that that was my my bit. But yes, you think <laughs> I like that they put jorts on him because <laughs> it seems like it would have been way easier to just remove the geometry of the penis. Oh yeah, but the jorts is is that extra mile that really makes it mm-hmm. worth it. Uh... <laughs> I wonder if that's why the uh, dead body character models in Amnesia have a penis. And maybe it's the d- it's default the... Unity uh, <laughs> uh, male model. It could be. Though also, that game was made in a different oh, engine. Oh, right. But they, they could still use the, the assets. The Lovecraft engine, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on from that. Uh, but no, yeah, okay. Actually, going back to that, because I realized I never even responded to what you were uh-huh. saying. You were distracted by penis. I was distracted by jorts, mostly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but the uh, the the fact that you don't really see any other living people makes you want to see Delilah more. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, that is the ultimate gut punch for a lot of players, from my understanding. Like... I personally, I of my three playthroughs, I asked her to stay once. But I think that, like, the implication is that most people do. Like, they say, just wait for me. Like, I'll be there whenever. Mm-hmm. And It does feel like the natural thing to do. Yeah. Like, you spend all that time, you feel like you'd want to at least, like, meet her once. Mm-hmm. But no, no, no you don't get to. Yeah, <laughs> I like that she lies to you, and I like how they that's performed. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. think it's very realistic. Like, oh, I yeah. think it's really well done. But um, when you finally get to her tower at the end, I like the details you can find in it. If you really stop and look, like she has the pork pond sa- or pork pond. Yeah, that was right. It yeah. just didn't sound right. No, it never does. The pork <laughs> pond sign. And a number of other things. I can't remember now because uh, well, it's been a while. But This is what I was looking up a second ago because oh, I wanted yeah. to make sure it was available. She drew that picture of you. Yeah, yeah. G- just to Google, like, <laughs> Deli- or, yeah, like Firewatch Henry pictures and look at some of them because they're all so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I wonder if they actually had somebody draw those and they just actually gave them the descriptions. I've got the fun fact. Oh, is that what they did? Uh, Ollie Moss, who's the guy who is the, he was the environment designer and uh, like artist on the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, He drew like the iconic uh, like cover image of the the, The tower. tower. And uh, it did a lot of the work as far as like concepting went. And I guess what they wanted to do was take each answer that you give to her when you're describing yourself and attribute like something to it and then he originally wanted to draw all combinations of it but i guess they're like eight thousand yeah <laughs> so he didn't what do they call that uh the permutations yeah yeah but he ended up those explode pretty fast oh yeah uh so what they ended up doing was he drew elements for each answer and like some variations based on other answers you give and then they procedurally assemble the image which is funny but uh, and less time consuming Mm -hmm. and good but do look that up if you get a chance because it's great Mm -hmm. uh but yeah she has the pork pond sign she has a, a forest burns poster yeah um which forest burns is fantastic uh He's terrifying in the best way, and I love him. Uh, but I guess when they made the character, they put that cardboard standee that's by your outhouse in the game mm-hmm. as a physics object, and people used it as a surfboard in order to skip parts of the game, and so they took it out. <laughs> which I wish they would have left it in for like speedrunning purposes, but I guess it was like it broke some stuff pretty bad in, in QA testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it didn't make it in. Um, but yeah, they had made several images with Forrest Burns. They're like, because they found out Smokey the Bear was not in the public domain. Right. Uh, and so, uh, and one of the things they made was this poster of Forrest Burns with a shovel with in a, in black silhouette with these bright red eyes. Very Mothman. And they were like, we can't put this in the game, but they put it in Delilah's Tower. Yeah. Like, she just has that terrible poster, and I love it. Yeah. One thing 
uh, I don't know if it's really like a criticism or anything. I feel like it's maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity is I feel like they should have made her tower more visually prominent. Because mm. like I didn't even notice that you could see it until they call it out that like you can see her tower from your window. Like I think I don't know if it's the layout of the tower, like how the deck wraps around everywhere except the side where uh that faces her tower right but like i just never really looked that way when i was in it so i I just feel like they could have done that like uh disneyland principle uh that i've talked about where you use like visual big visual landmarks to orient yourself like your tower and her tower could have been visible from more spots Mm -hmm. but that's just like a art direction thing like that i was thinking about yeah i agree with that i think that her tower is her tower and maybe i'm wrong and i'm just like visualizing it differently uh it looks like a cowboy hat no um (laughs) that's a reference but it's really a microphone (laughs) yeah to a very old episode of no club pocket um but uh her tower to me looks like it's bigger or like wider in a place Mm -hmm. uh and it's also built up on like a hill as opposed to being just like ground with sticks right so it looks less visually distinct from the trees than your tower does um and so yeah i agree that it's it was like when i was cued to look at the tower uh i would take a second to remember where Where it it was Yeah. yeah um so I, I don't disagree. I think that could have been more visually distinct. Mm-hmm. There is a cool moment in uh, Ned's hideout when you get to the uh, end of it. If you look out, like, you can see both towers from where he is. Yeah. So it's got, like, there's sort of an eerie quality to it. Yeah, like, I think... Works back to your window problem. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, I feel like, yeah, like, moments like that they could have had more of where, like, you'd crest over a hill and you'd be able to see one of or both of the towers you know mm-hmm. something to like orient yourself give the the space like a more of a sense of like realism or whatever i mean it would make it it'd be harder to design for but yeah i'm thinking like uh, okay like how do you feel generally about the visual design of this game i really like it um i like that it's stylized it's got that like um like the the squared off fingers like you know that you get every now and then in certain cartoons um it's like i got not it's not really cell shaded but it's got like a nice like bold swatches of color um for how things are textured you got like that bright yellow sign like the logo right and everything um there's a lot of nice like golden sunlight coming through the trees like it's got a nice style and color palette i think for like a forest in a video game yeah it's weird i'm glad that it's not just like realistic i agree yeah i i love the concept of this game i think the description that i would give to the like aesthetic is is like cozy which is strange i think for the tone sometimes Mm -hmm. like when you're deep in the mystery part uh they do a good they make it a point to set more scenes at night which has like a blue hue to it as Mm -hmm. opposed to the like gold yeah gold and orange that's in the 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 main game most of the time um but yeah like i think that there were times when it would be like this whole thing and when you're talking to delilah God, maybe this was intentional the whole time and I'm just now picking up on it. Is that most of the time when you're talking to Delilah about personal shit, it's during the day. And then when the mystery is in the thick of it, it's at the nighttime or you're in the cave. So take that criticism, get it the fuck out of here, and replace it with me saying, I think that was intentional and that was a good thing that they did and I liked it. Yeah, it makes you think of Delilah (laughs) as warm. Mm Mm-hmm. They're getting into that player psychology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, making you associate her with nice, bright, golden, cozy sunlight. Exactly. Then they want you to flirt. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. They do. Campo Santos. They says... want to tempt you. <laughs> I mean, it is true. It is a temptation, and I think ultimately you have to decide whether or not uh, 
that is something that you should follow up on. Mm -hmm. But I don't like that they've manipulated me with uh, fall colors. (laughs) You signed up to be manipulated, all right? That is true. As we say in this podcast. You wanted the game to make you feel things. (laughs) As we say here on the podcast, we are here for the lies. We are. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything else? Um... Because the, just a couple like rapid fire things. Like I like the uh, digital camera, or not the digital camera, the opposite. <laughs> yes. Um, the disposable camera. Mm-hmm. That's the word. Uh, it's a nice fit for like a explore the nature game. And I also like on this playthrough. I don't know if I thought this the first time, but I found myself taking pictures of like the conspiracy stuff. I'm like, I'll have evidence. Right. Yeah. Uh, if uh, you know, you never need it, but you know, it's it's a nice fit. I I enjoyed messing around with it. Um and you get an achievement for using all the photos, but I was specifically trying not to use them all because I was like what if I need to take a picture of something so, later? You are prompted to take I think two pictures. Yeah. But you don't have to and whatever, I don't know. I filled it up this time. I've never filled it up before. I've taken like sporadic pictures here and there, but uh this time I made it a point to actually complete the whole thing complete <laughs> this is video game I, I completed this camera <laughs> uh i guess that was the only uh, thing i hadn't mentioned i thought there was at least one other thing but there isn't all right fire thoughts we've definitely done fire thoughts before really yeah i don't remember exactly what it was but i'm like a thousand percent certain we've done fire thoughts flapjack thoughts it's what delilah would call them yeah that's what i'll I'll go with i like it so my flapjack thoughts are uh i feel like i kind of fucked this game up for myself uh unknowingly uh by playing it with other people because i feel like this would have been extra effective on me if i'd played it by myself the first time like i think i really would have felt pulled in two different Mm -hmm. directions i would have felt that temptation I totally would have flirted with Delilah, you know, like I think it would have landed really well with me. And uh, if I had that mystical, magical, uh, hypothetical redo button where I could play it again, fresh, I I would totally hit that button. Um, but as it is, um, I really try to separate myself from my first playthrough when I was replaying it and it landed a lot better the second time. Um, it does still feel like fairly experimental how they how they deliver the narrative, and I think it's mostly successful. But I still do think the conspiracy plots maybe laid on a little bit too thick, is a little bit too tantalizing, and then pulls the rug out from under you a little bit too hard that you fall down and you hit your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I don't know. It stands out in my mind though. So maybe it was worth it in a lot of ways as well um it's unique i like that it takes chances and it did make me feel the things they wanted me to feel so there are a lot of successes here i just it's hard for me to really take this game for what it is based on my initial experience with it but i want to give it more credit uh than i did initially years ago so I like this game and I hope that Valve lets them make <laughs> uh, stuff other than VR games. Yeah. Because I'd like to see more from them. Yeah. Uh, Canva Santo had another game announced last year, the year before. Um, that was like, it was like set in Egypt. And yeah, it looked was, cool. Yeah, it looked very neat. And it was like a two-person sort of narrative-focused thing. And I was excited for it. But it seems as though it has all but been canceled at this point. Um, with any luck. I mean, obviously, they're doing well for themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is good. I like that. But uh, I would love to see their sort of like creative vision come out a little bit more. Uh, because my final thoughts... I like this game. Uh, this is a game that, uh, I guess, full disclosure, this isn't being a fan of something is not 
something that needs disclosed. Uh, but the people who made this game, uh, and specifically uh, Chris Remo, Jake Rodkin, and Sean Vanneman, uh, were all hosts of a podcast called Idle Thumbs, uh, which is arguably the podcast that inspired me, at least, to want to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they went on to do Important If True, but then the whole Valve thing and all of their content outside of that kind of got shut down. Um, so because of the like parasocial relationship that was built up, uh, I when they talked about them making a game, I was like, well, fuck, I got to play that game. Uh, and like, they're the kind of people like us, like if we made a game and put it out, people would be like, oh, now the critics get to see like, oh, how they're done. But we Mm -hmm. don't have experience in the industry at all, Mm -hmm. but they do. So they were able to make the game and release it on a bunch of stuff. And it's like a 3d game and they hired professional voice actors. (laughs) Right. So like it came out, it was a real game. And I was excited to play it. So I w- my expectations were definitely pretty high. And it, I was almost like predisposed to like this game because of that. But on replays, I like it as much, if not more. The, the commentary is totally worthwhile if you are a, a fan of this game or a fan of games being made. Uh, because they go into like an unprecedented amount of like technical detail, things that I didn't expect them to talk about, like what they did to uh, like how the the program was structured and saved and like what they did to reduce like stuttering and to occlude things that aren't being used and visually how everything worked and that they sourced duck sound. <laughs> And they called the thing that creates the smoke particle effect in the last day of the game the Henry Smoke... It was the Henry Smoke Barfer. (laughs) Which is a great name. Uh, And so all of that sort of came together that I knew I was going to enjoy this game, and I did enjoy this game. But I think that the emotional impact of this game can't really be understated. I think that it is very good, and I think that that leans pretty heavily on that voice cast and how like dedicated those performances are because there's a lot of dialogue in this game and they probably mm-hmm. had to record a whole lot to do uh what they did and so i'm impressed by the scope of the narrative and i think most of the the shortcomings of the game are all sort of like technical in nature um and i don't know taken together i like it i didn't hamstring myself on the first playthrough and but otherwise i feel similarly to andy <laughs> <laughs> yeah really wish i wouldn't have uh played Done it with that. other people yeah <laughs> if only I, if only i would have known the woodpecker cried yep the bark on the trees was as soft as the skies oh it even thematically fits with the game mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to No Clip Pocket this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP. And no, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, I played the first hour of it, and I don't understand what it means. Okay. I, I think it's just a silly title. It is kind of a silly title. You yeah. Know? Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, We will let you know next time the first thing we'll talk about is that (laughs) and then you can decide if you want to play based on your like eat like extended play until that time you can get a hold of us all of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro uh there you can find links to all of our old episodes you can hear us talk about uh the vanishing of ethan carter which we've already talked about on this episode and some other shit. What remains of Edith Finch. Yep, that one gets mentioned often. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very a great good. Game. <laughs> uh, you can also find links to our YouTube, our Discord, where you can uh, comment on the videos. Uh, you can watch the videos and see the... Well, not, not on this one. Yeah, not in the pockets, <laughs> but the main podcast we're capturing video now, if you want to watch on YouTube. Yeah, a little bit more dynamic. Mm-hmm. And on Discord, you can be like... Man, I don't know why you're doing this. Nobody watches on YouTube. That's <laughs> wild. Uh, or you can tell them if you came there from YouTube. Hey, fuck you. I do. Uh, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling tangenty today.
damn it. This <laughs> like, yeah, like every tourism board for every state has a slogan. Mm-hmm. The slogan for Wyoming is just that's Wyoming <laughs> exclamation point. Classic Wyoming. But I think it's supposed to be pronounced that's why, but it's like W Y, like mm. the fucking postal code. That's why. Oming. I almost want to use it just because of how bad it is. 